We're going to be looking at John chapter 5 this evening. Uh, What I'm going to do is uh, read the passage as we go through. So I won't read it right at the start, but if you need to find it, um, it's on page 1068. Um, We're going from the beginning of John chapter 5. So there's an evangelistic event uh, on at church next week. There's a friend in the sports club uh, that you've chatted to before who you'd love to bring along, but you don't mention it. You've talked to her in the past, you've even shared something of the gospel with her, but things just seem to bounce off, like she doesn't even hear it. You hate to admit it, but secretly, you've given up hope. Does God's word really have the power to change lives? It doesn't look that way. Or perhaps there's a social group at work who you spend a lot of time with and often the conversation turns to politics or religion and you feel uncomfortable. You disagree with much of what they're saying and you feel hurt at the vitriol they direct to Christians somewhere out there. Christians are homophobic or bigoted or ignorant or intolerant. And so you keep quiet about the fact that you, too, are a believer. Why rock the boat? It'll just make things difficult, make things awkward. Besides, you never know what to say. Or maybe you're away with your family, and it's wonderful. You love them dearly, you love spending time with them. None of them are Christians, but it's just so easy to forget that they, too, need Jesus. Bringing him up will just spoil the holiday. And they're all so lovely. Do they really need to hear? Now, I don't know if any of those scenarios uh, are familiar to you. With some variations, I think I can identify with every one. Because I find that it's all too easy to forget or doubt the power of God's word. I find that it's all too easy to run from opposition And it's all too easy to wonder whether, in fact, anyone really needs to hear the gospel at all. So we come to this passage in John tonight. And here John tells us about one of Jesus' many healings. Last week, uh, we heard about another one in John chapter 4. But as we've been seeing uh, in this series, for John, these aren't just um, random events, these healings. No, they're signs that point to something of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So my prayer that is in this passage this evening, we'll find our faith in him strengthened and that as a result in every situation we encounter, we'll be more confident of the saving work and the saving power of the good news of Jesus. Uh, So let me pray for us and then we'll uh, dive into the passage. Father God, thank you um, as we heard this morning from Andy that your spirit um, is uh, with us as believers. We have both his presence and his power at work in us. And so we pray, Father, by your spirit, would you open our eyes and show us the Lord Jesus so that we might trust him, uh, that we might love him more, um, and that we might have confidence uh, to speak for him uh, in every situation. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So um, if you've got a Bible, um, we're reading from John chapter 5 and verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. 
Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. So picture the scene with me. There's a religious feast in Jerusalem, which means that people from all over Judea have crowded into the city. The dusty streets are jammed with visitors and locals. The noise is overwhelming. The heat is oppressive. And near the bustle of one of the city gates, there is a pool, grand columned arches on each side. And by the pool, there are crowds of people. Only these people aren't walking around. They're sitting perhaps begging, perhaps just waiting silently, because there's very little else they can do, because it is here that the disabled masses of Jerusalem gather, because rumour has it that if an angel stirs the water and you get into it, then you will be healed. Now, amidst the crowd, we read of this one man who has been there um, for a long time, possibly for the 38 years that he's been disabled. I'd guess that's the best part of his life that he spent disabled begging for the food that he is unable to earn for himself. No welfare state to look after him, no wheelchairs to get around in. This man's horizons are limited to where the next meal is coming from and perhaps the slim possibility that he might be healed. But that is only a forlorn hope. There's no one even to lift him down into the pool. Enter Jesus, stage left, passes by, jostle past, the cries of beggars fill the air, and the invalid hears a simple question, do you want to get well? Now it seems almost comic, do you want to get well? Of course he wants to get well, 38 years spent lying on a mat with no friends, no prospects, and the man asks, do you want to get well? No mate, I'm all right. He's going to be kidding, right? Except that this man has misunderstood the point. Jesus wasn't asking if he'd like to be healed, you know, someday. This was an offer of healing. It's the difference between somebody asking you if you'd like to be married someday or your boyfriend proposing. That one phrase, do you want to get married, means something entirely different if the person asking is down on one knee with a ring. The invalid doesn't know who Jesus is, and so in many ways his answer is understandable. I've got no one to ask uh, to help me into the water, he says. Possibly he's hoping that Jesus will stick around and, and help him. So what comes next must have been a surprise. Verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. One word. That's all it took. Just one word in the original language. 
and the man gets up. Muscles, unused for decades, are stretching, strong. Arms lifting up his body, legs taking over, perhaps expecting to stumble, and then finding, amazingly, his whole body is working again. And then, as he lifts up his mat for the first time, he finds himself taking the first few steps of his new life, because everything has changed for this man, and all it took was one word from the lips of Jesus. So what is this sign telling us about Jesus? Because as John tells us later in his gospel, he's told us about this miracle for a specific reason, so that we might have faith and believe in Jesus. And so helpfully, Jesus actually shows us what this sign is about later on in this passage. So if you have a look down at verse 21, Jesus says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. In this healing, Jesus is showing us something about himself beyond just his power to heal physically. The man is a picture of all of us, needy, helpless, once spiritually dead and in need of a miracle. By giving this man new life, by healing him, Jesus is showing his power to give new life to spiritually dead people like us. Jesus' word brings life. Now, I used to live in Brighton, where I was in a large shared house, uh, and one of my housemates was a guy called Mark. Mark had been part of a musical crowd that were into heavy drugs, and so alongside pursuing a career as a hip-hop hip -hop MC, he was also nursing a heroin addiction. Then God stepped in, and he was converted. He stopped taking heroin, and overnight he was free of the addiction. Now, being healed of that addiction is amazing. And it's like a huge sign of the power of Jesus' words. But Mark would say that it was coming to know Jesus that was more amazing and more important. Last I heard from Mark, he was going into prisons to share the gospel uh, with inmates using rap as a means. And that is the kind of thing that this miracle is pointing to. Not just a physical healing, though that is incredible, but being given new life spiritually. And that is even better. Being born again, um, as we hear in John chapter 3. That is the power that Jesus' word has. This morning we sang um, a hymn that puts it like this. He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. Now the great news is that the risen Jesus continues to speak today as his word in the gospel is proclaimed. When you are sharing the good news with someone, it is as if Jesus himself is speaking to them, calling them to repent and believe. By ourselves, our words aren't powerful, but Jesus' word brings life. So when friends just don't seem to be getting it, when our colleague rebuffs our invitation for the umpteenth time, when we're tempted to try some other method, some other message than the good news of Jesus to get results, remember this invalid. With just one word, Jesus transformed the man, healing him and giving him a new life. He can do the same today. He can.
and he does. Jesus' word brings life. But Jesus' word also brings opposition. And that's where John takes us next. So we pick up the story in verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So imagine you're the man who's been healed. 38 years of begging, hoping, despairing. And a man appears who tells you, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At first you think he's joking, but as the blood flows back into your limbs and you feel the strength return, you jump up in astonishment. And without thinking, you pick up your mat and start walking around, testing your legs, hardly able to believe what is happening. You round the corner and suddenly you come across a group of religious leaders and they've got a problem. It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Uh Uh-oh. That's never been an issue for you before. The law forbade you to work on the Sabbath, but for 38 years you've not been able to work. So what do you do? Well, the man makes excuses. The man who made me well told me to do it, which makes sense, right? The man had the authority to banish your disability. You just did what he told you to. But the religious leaders aren't happy. Who is this fellow? And now you've got a problem. Because the man seems to have vanished, and you're not minutes into your new life, and already you're in trouble with the authorities. So perhaps it's understandable that when Jesus turns up again, the man he healed tells the authorities about him. Whatever the man's reasons, it's now Jesus who is in the hot seat Last time he was in Jerusalem, he was controversial enough that Nicodemus, a respected man, visited him under the cover of darkness for fear of being seen with him. Now it looks like suspicion has turned to downright hostility. And we're told in verse 16 that the Jews were persecuting him. Now that was bad enough, but in verse 17, Jesus goes and makes it even worse. He says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In other words, God never stops work. Day to day, the universe holds together because God is at work sustaining it, even on the Sabbath. And Jesus says that he too is working in this very same way, like father, like son. 
This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. In this instance, far from bringing life, Jesus' words bring extreme opposition. Throughout his gospel, John contrasts two kinds of hearers, those who might physically hear Jesus' words, but are spiritually deaf to them, and those who really hear and so believe. The Jewish leaders hear what Jesus is saying, but they don't like it. It doesn't fit with their thinking. Elsewhere, we're told that they are proud of their academic respectability. And Jesus' words don't stack up with what they've staked their whole careers on. So, they oppose him. Now, you don't have to have been a Christian for a long time to know that some people really don't like hearing what Jesus has to say. They might express it in different ways. For some people, it's an active dislike or even anger. Some avoid the topic at all costs. Others listen and are up for debate, but they never let it sink in. Others make constant digs at your faith, making you the butt of their jokes. I've known all of those people, and that was just my housemates in Bristol. Jesus' word brings opposition. It shouldn't surprise us. In fact, later, Jesus tells us to expect it. In John's Gospel, we see the contrast again and again between those for whom Jesus' word brings life and those who oppose it. And we see the same today. Jesus' word brings life. Yes, it does. Look at the invalid. That's the power Jesus' word has, giving new life to dead limbs, new life to dead souls. But Jesus' word also brings opposition. It could come from friends or from work, or even the government. John wants us to see that there are those who respond to Jesus' word by opposing him, and those who stand with him. It's sobering. And if I'm honest, it's often a little too sobering. I mean, I don't know about you, but I quite like people liking me. If given the option between having my head bitten off or burying it in the sand, I will choose the latter. When it comes to sharing Jesus with my friends, I'm often this close to giving up. I don't like people disagreeing with me or pigeonholing me as the religious one. Jesus' words may bring life, but is it really worth the cost to share them? Why keep going? Why, when your friend doesn't turn up again, or the conversation gets too heated, or you're just getting ignored, why do you keep going? Is it worth it? Is it necessary? Well, let's finish by skipping forward just a little bit to verse 24 and have a read of what Jesus says there. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Verse 28. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. In other words, there will come a time when everyone will hear and respond to Jesus' word in exactly the same way. No exceptions. Just like Jesus tells the invalid to get up, and he does, then he will call everyone to come out, and they will. There is a day coming when Jesus' word will bring judgment, life for some, and condemnation for others. Now, this isn't Jesus teaching salvation by works, those who have done good will rise to live. Later in John's Gospel, he explains that the good work required of us is simply to believe in the one that God has sent. But a day will come when Jesus' word will bring judgment. Those who follow him will rise to live, and those who oppose him will rise to be condemned. Now there's a hint of this earlier, with a man Jesus healed. Jesus tells him, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. If you don't repent, Jesus is saying, there is a day coming when something worse than disability or sickness will come. A day of judgment. So turn and trust in Jesus, because when that day comes, you want to be standing with him. But notice that that day hasn't come yet. Verse 28 says, a time is coming, but it is not here yet. Now verse 25 says, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. There is a day of judgment to come, but it is not yet. Now is the time when dead people hear Jesus' voice and live. Jesus will come to earth as our judge, but first, he has come as our saviour. And aren't we glad that he did? Because like the invalid, we are the ones who were spiritually dead and in need of new life. We are the people who have heard Jesus' voice and believed. He spoke to us, we heard him, and he gave us new life. It doesn't matter how you came to faith, whether it was dramatic like my friend Mark, or you just grew up in a Christian home like I did. Each new life is a miracle. And Jesus' word still brings life today. Jesus is working those miracles today, bringing new life to people around us as they hear his word and believe. So, are we struggling to believe that Jesus' words really have power? Well, look at the invalid. 
He is a picture of all of us, giving you light. Look around you, our brothers and sisters, transformed and saved by his grace. Are you tempted to stop speaking of Jesus for fear of opposition? Well, take heart, because despite all the world can throw at us, Jesus' word is still saving people. Is it worth persevering? Yes. Now, today, is the day when dead people hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now is the day of salvation. So let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of new life that you have given us in your Son. Father, we pray, please give us, by your Spirit, renewed confidence in this good news that we might live and speak for Jesus wherever we find ourselves. In his name we pray. Amen.